Hello and welcome to the Wedding Dish Podcast. Grab your fork and knife and take a seat at our table as we dish on all things weddings. You'll hear stories and tips from real couples and wedding pros about love, life, and entrepreneurship. I am Sarah Allipin. I'm your hostess with the mostest on the Wedding Dish Podcast, and I am the CEO of Photos from the Hardy and District Bliss. Um, Normally, I have my little French bulldog bud, Clouseau, in his podcasting chair, but today um, we are headed to New York this weekend for my brother's birthday, and he is on a staycation with some of his friends. So um, I am excited today to be joined by um, longtime friend who I've been trying to do this podcast with for, when did we start this? I'm going to say it was probably pre-pandemic. <laughs> no. It might have been. It honestly might have been. <laughs> Kim, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you very much for having me at long last. It's great to be here. Yes, so great to have you. Um, it it's funny because when I was thinking about this, I was like, I swear we've done this episode. Like, I don't really need to like tell people what you're up to or have you tell people what you're up to. But it's just that we've been trying to schedule it for ages, <laughs> and here we are finally at long last. I'm so finally. excited. Me too. <laughs> So um, we're going to dive into the cool stuff that you're doing, but first, I want to ask you, um, why do you, well, first of all, tell us a little bit about your business. So the business that I started uh, decided to kick off February 14th, 2020. Um, It's called The Art of Eloping, and it is at artofeloping.com. It's an online website resource that is Intended to be a little bit like the knot, but for couples who want to elope and for vendors who need a platform to promote their elopement businesses, which um, the whole idea was generated in 2018. Excuse me. And so launching it unknowingly on the eve of a pandemic was uh, not intentional, but in a way it did help because it has now bumped elopements more into the mainstream. you know, there obviously was the ban on large gatherings, but now couples have seen the virtues in going small and saving money and stress and planning and um, are seeking out eloping more and more. So it's really exciting to see even more vendors kind of come out and say, hey, I'm just going to go full on elopements now. I, I don't want to do big weddings anymore or or ones, you know, branching into doing both because they see, oh, I can make money on a Wednesday for an elopement and still on a Saturday with a big wedding. So um, it's just a, a big resource to help couples, vendors. And then I also do a blog on there with sort of tips and pro tips and interviews with vendors on the how to's because it's still a big murky area if you're diving in as a couple. Yeah. Yeah. And that leads me to my next question, which is why elopements? Why elopements? Because they're cool. Um, I've always been drawn to the idea of eloping. I've never wanted to have a big wedding myself. And no, I did not elope. It's a a million dollar question. Um, (laughs) I just, I thought they were cool. I had seen them kind of percolating on social media, you know, coming off of the sort of rebel fringes of the industry. Um, they weren't just the sandals, you know, all inclusive elopement packages that sprung up in the eighties. They were these really cool photographs of couples just looking really, really happy, you know, against a mountaintop or sunset. Um, and whether they had three people with them or just their photographer or just their officiant, they were 
you know, they were doing something that was true to them and a reflection of their values as a couple. And I thought that was really refreshing and worth exploring. I love that. And, you know, just like to echo a little bit of what you're saying, like a lot of what we either we think of like those those sandals all inclusive elopements or we think of just going to the courthouse or tradition we that was what we thought of pre-pandemic now more elopement is more mainstream um but having like that beautiful moment that can be very personal for just the two of you i think was something that a lot of people weren't really sure how to execute or even how to think about planning um so you've essentially created a platform where people can create a plan for their elopement in a way you the same way you would plan for a wedding but just a different event exactly yeah um there's a lot of mystery even just still even though weddings have been you know this industry is booming industry for a few decades now there's still questions about that so couples don't even know where to start with the mainstream let alone okay how do i do an elopement that doesn't look like us in a little office at the courthouse Um, and sure you can look at Instagram, but part of the reason I wanted to catapult this over to a website was it's really hard to search on Instagram. It is not a Google tool. So you can try going down hashtag road if you'd like and ending up in a land where someone might do one elopement and hashtag elopement photographer on a photo of a 300 person wedding. You know, that's going to waste a lot of your time. And often when you're planning an elopement, you're trying to not do it for a whole year, trying to do it quickly. So you want the, uh, the easiness of, you know, just having the speed to get really caught up really quickly on how to's Uh, the legal aspect is really important when you elope. So having sort of that information all in one place, Oh, there goes my ring light. Um, (laughs) It just crashed. If you heard that. Um, No worries. You can't just go off to a city for a weekend and have a romantic elopement when there might be a 60-day waiting period from when you apply for your license to when you can actually say your I do's. Um, it's an old-fashioned idea of, you know, let's let's get engaged and think about, do we really want to do this? It's about 100 years old of an idea, but we still have it in states, and every state is different. So just getting up to speed very quickly on these details that seem like you know, boring legalities is actually really important if you want to elope in a hurry, or even if you want to elope in three months, you know, you need to still be able to capture the nuts and bolts of it before you go on to the pretty, you know, floral arches that you might want to incorporate, which we have ideas for too. So. <laughs> yeah. And that, I, I don't know if you remember back when, um, before, when Steph Norton was on the podcast um, with me, my former co-host who um, just did, wasn't as interested in the pandemic remote recording, totally get it. It's a very different vibe. Um, but she had that happen where she eloped and she tried to go to Miami um, and elope with her husband, Sasha, and they ended up not being able to do it. Um So they traveled down thinking they were eloping and then they couldn't actually get married. Um, So they ended up coming back and getting married in Alexandria, I think, was where they got married. But um, yeah, it's knowing that stuff in advance and even knowing the questions to ask because a lot of stuff, you know, there are so many archaic laws that we have in society that we just, if you don't bump up against it, you don't know it exists. Exactly. And one of those, the big one actually that I, I wanted to highlight in, you know, on the website and in the book is that you don't need a blood test anymore. It's done. 
finally, I think 2018 was the last state holding out, uh, like go of it. And I'm pretty sure that was Montana. Um, but it is something that was implemented to control, uh, the spread of rubella measles and mumps. And when we brought out the vaccines for that over, you know, the last century, it eventually was eradicated by 2004. So it was done with, it was wiped out. But prior to that, you did have to get a blood test. Um, and that was just so women weren't going to pass it on because obviously if you're getting married, the thought was always, you're now going to have kids. Um, so that is done with, and that is unfortunately something that is still promoted on certain wedding websites as being a thing you need to do because these sites aren't fact-checked. It's hard to find information. It did take me a long time to find that it was done with, you know, I was looking in court documents, um, and legal documents to see that, you know, the States were done doing it. So there are a lot of archaic things that are part of getting married in general, um, that are still going to pertain to eloping as they would a regular wedding. And so it's sort of just capturing those elements because a lot of couples start out wanting to have the big wedding and they go down that road and then they think, Oh, I want to elope. How is it different? You know, and in many ways it's not, it's just, you're going to save a lot of money, stress, and you might hurt some feelings, <laughs> but that's probably going to happen at a big wedding too. So yeah. <laughs> That's true. That's true. We talk about that a lot on this show. <laughs> yeah. I mean, people, the bridesmaid problems, you know, who's made of honor, all those things. It's all a highly charged emotional event, um, whether it's a destination event or an event, you know, at your local church. It's, it's the stakes are high when you get married. Um, and so you need to have the tools to, to implement it and do it well. You need help. Yeah. And you've never done it before. Like, it's not like you're just going around eloping on a regular basis where you just, it, you're an old hat at, at eloping. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. No, I mean, maybe you are if you're like a runaway bride. Um, <laughs> uh, but it's, yeah, it's, it's the same as getting married, right? You usually do it once. And the thing that couples get trapped into, and I, I say trapped loosely, it's not to be negative. Um, they get caught up in the fact that it is a job. It's not just a party that they're planning. Um, it's not only the most important event of their life, but of their relatives, you know, and you, you've got to please a lot of people. They, people come in with expectations and it's more than just being, you know, fed a plated meal. So it's, there's a lot at stake and there's a lot to coordinate. And some couples just really relish that and they want the big wedding and they love having their family around them. And I, you know, that's awesome. But there are a lot of couples that just have demanding jobs. You know, I've heard that from couples. We didn't have time to plan a wedding and we just wanted to do it. Um, they want to start a family and they don't want to have to wait a year to, you know, have their dream venue open up, which is a big reality of why couples have to wait so long. Um, and they don't want to spend money. You know, it's just, they start to see their, and this happens with elopements too, but they start to see like, okay, my budget's 10 grand. Oh, but the venue starts at 7,000. Oh, and then they add on 18 fees. Oh, and the minimum is 20,000 for food. You know, these things are realities that in DC, especially couples are used to, to facing when they're planning. And that bill goes up pretty quickly when you start out with this, you know, much more uh, frugal mindset <laughs> to say the least. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we were really lucky. Philippe and I did I mean, we did a micro wedding, I guess, before it was a micro wedding in 2012. 
we pissed a lot of people off with that. There were a lot of tears, a lot of confrontations in public that came my way. Um, and, um, you know, it was the thing that we really lucked out in was that our venue, the fee was only like $800 because we got married at a place that doesn't market themselves as a wedding venue and they don't think of themselves as a wedding venue. And I love that. So it was kind of, they all, you know, they didn't, we had to rent a, a kitchen cause they didn't have a kitchen. So, you know, there are other fees associated, but, um, for the most part, you know, since we had so few people, we didn't have to worry about a lot of it, but it's still, um, I would say all in our wedding probably cost us $15,000 for 17 guests. Wow. Um, now that includes like flying there. That includes our hotel because we were a destiny. We went to where his family was, mm. um, renting a car, um, you know, all of the things. And that includes anything leading up to the wedding. Um, and we went out, we had to go out a couple times to plan in advance, um, you know, like choose the venue and stuff. So all in, but still, you know, it's expensive. Like it's, that's the reality. And this was 2012. So with inflation, I don't even know what that's looking like these days, but. <laughs> it's probably 20, 20, you know, 2025, because those wedding costs don't go up. I mean, you have to, it's a homegrown business. You're working with a lot of entrepreneurs that should be charging more every year. You know, the photographers yeah. and the florists a lot of times. Um, and the venue, unfortunately, is going to be the biggest price tag usually. Um, but also catering. A lot of couples don't realize how much catering actually costs, whether you're doing it all inclusive with the hotel or you're hiring outside catering. Those little charges, you know, the linens, the flatware, the if you need to get the chairs and tables, those all, the things they all add on to the food. I mean, it's not just a, $100 per plate fee anymore. <laughs> it goes up pretty yeah. quickly. So it's, it's a, it's a lot of, a lot of money for one day, which we all know, um, with eloping, you just, you have more flexibility in, if you really want to do it for a thousand bucks or for 50, the local courthouse, you really can't, um, yeah. it's sort of the beauty of it is that you can really make it your own. Um, and that said, 50 people is not an elopement. Um, but like some people seem to think I'm going to have a destination. I'm going to bring on, you know, 18 friends and 30 family members. And it's like, mm, it's destination wedding. Let's, let's call it spade a spade. But, um, yeah, you're like not going to a small wedding, but it's still a wedding. Yeah. You're not going to save any money by trying to trick planners with vocabulary. So, um, that said, a really cool industry or part of the industry, I should say, that's popped up because of the pandemic is elopement planning. Um, which when I launched the website, I had a handful of elopement planners as my vendors. Now I have 11. And I, I think I read in the Wall Street Journal about a couple months ago that this is like one of the biggest growing industries in the wedding business right now, because you have these planners that are savvy at traveling, you know, which is a very high stress situation on its own. And when couples want to elope to an area they know nothing about, what you do is you essentially seek out a travel guide who plans elopements, you know, and that's an elopement planner. And they are really good at knowing the local scene, the vendors who to hire, who's going to save you on this cost, um, the best tickets to get there, you know, what air, what airport to fly into, you know, should you rent a car or should you Uber, that kind of thing. Um, so elopement planning is really neat to see that growing. That didn't exist. You know, that is something that is truly new 
in the last decade or so. Um, but it's, I think it's a pretty cool development. It's sort of like wedding planners weren't really a thing until, you know, Martha Stewart joined the scene and said, here's a hundred different ways to have a tablescape, <laughs> figure it out, <laughs> DIY. And people were like, what? So it's, you know, it's all, it's all just this, this really cumulative snowball of an industry that I think is just really cool in its entrepreneurial aspects and the fact that it is largely led by women. I think it's just kind of badass. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with everything you just said, except I did not know Martha Stewart changed the tablescape scene. It makes sense now that you've said it, but I was completely unaware. <laughs> See, I went down this rabbit hole of uh, when did we really get it caught up in all these big, big weddings, you know, because I think a, a vendor that I follow put on Instagram a couple of weeks ago, like, you know, our parents had micro weddings. Like they were modest weddings in the fifties and sixties. And mm -hmm. I, I did some research and I'm like, yeah, you know, like unless you were high society or royalty, you did not have a 300 person wedding. It was just insane. And it was actually, I think Emily Post in her etiquette guide on weddings said something about it being like kind of gauche, like, to expect people to come and celebrate you if you were like middle class. So it's just been an interesting development and it was truly like pinpointed when Martha launched it, I think in 1990, herself a divorcee. Um, and she launched, you know, I think she saw the market. She's a smart businesswoman. She'd had some books out and this sealed her career as an industry pro and, you know, all these other areas, but it really started with her weddings um, magazine and endeavors. And that is when people lost their minds in coming up with these very elaborate weddingscapes, so to speak, and growing them from just, you know, four or five banquet tables to 12 and 13 and 14, you know, tables of 10. So she's interesting. Her daughter did elope uh, at the courthouse. I will say that. And she was disappointed. I thought that was really funny tidbit that I found. <laughs> but she, she did come out and say that she was disappointed with her choice to elope. I was like, wow, Martha, savage <laughs> for your daughter. Wow. But yeah, so this whole big wedding stuff really is a modern development. And it's really 90s and, you know, the aughts and the, the 2010s. It's just, it's not going to go away. Um, we've, I think, established that as a society. But it is, you know, we do have the growing segment of couples who are rejecting it because it's not the norm they want for themselves. And that's where I sought to come in and sort of promote it in whatever way I could. Cause that's where I, that's the side of the line I fall on. <laughs> yeah. And I don't want to plan it. <laughs> yeah. And also like you want people to do what's best for them, you know, and you want them to have the tools in order to make the choice and successfully execute what is best for them? So if an elopement is the best thing, like here are the resources. Enjoy. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's pretty compelling that couples just willingly walk into doing something like you said they have never done before and assume that they know they're going to be able to figure it out because everybody else does it. You know, I mean, in the intro to, to my book, I have an article from Zola, which they're great. They do a lot of great things, but they did a study and their own research showed that of all the surveyed couples, half of them considered canceling the whole thing over stress. Yeah. And they were suffering like three or more side effects, which were like lack of sleep, hair loss, um, lack of sex drive, all these awful things. 
from planning their wedding. And like, this is Zola whose business it is to promote, you know, big weddings and yeah, complicated wedding registries and things like that. So it's, it's really compelling that couples just assume that they should be miserable for this process and put up with it. It's just wild to me. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, that's total aside. Um, and I want to swing back around to that in a second too, in a different, from a different point, but, um, my mom had, you know, occasionally, and this is something I think every mom does, um, where they say, well, I say, I don't know how people X, Y, and Z, something I have chosen not to do that society or my family tells me that I am supposed to be doing having a wedding would be one of those things that falls in that category. That is not what I'm talking about at this point. But my mom will say something like, well, people just make it work. Well, I don't want to live my life just making it work. (laughs) I want to live my life like enjoying the fuck out of it. Like I don't, Mm -hmm. I'm not here to just like make something work so I can be miserable. And I, I think the pandemic kind of did a little bit of a shake and wake on us. And a lot of people fall on that side of the fence now where you're just like, why am I making it work? Why is this something that I'm like pushing myself that I'm believing that's just because society tells me or, or my family or my friends tell me, or because I've started it and committed that time to it and that energy and that effort. And now I have to stick with it and just push through is it's mind blowing to me. And it's so hard to watch that happen for people. It really is. I mean, it's a lot of it when the couples go into debt too, it leads straight to divorce. Uh, when they go into debt for their weddings, this was another really depressing. I'm sorry. This is like all sad research that I've done recently um, for lots of reasons, but um, it's when, it's a fact that like, I think 49% of couples who go into debt for their weddings contemplate divorce as newlyweds. Oh, so it's Jesus. A really bad way to start a marriage. It just really yeah. is like, you have to sit and be honest and be like, is this something we can afford or not? If you can't afford it, you really need to consider like the, the fact that you're not just entering into a wedding, you're entering, entering into a marriage. You know, this is not, we know it's not about the one day, but it's so easy to lose sight of it when you've already signed contracts and you're locked in and then you forgot about this thing. And, oh, well, you know, since we signed this contract, now we need this thing. Um, it really escalates and it can really be damaging to a relationship because we all know the number one thing couples fight about to begin with is money, you know, whether you're yeah. married or not. And then you add in the most elaborate party of your lives and you're going broke from it. I mean, it's not a good recipe for marital success. <laughs> it's just really not. Um, and yeah. I just want couples to know it's okay to not do that. You know, it's okay to not put yourself through that and go into debt. You know, we don't need more debt as, as a 30, 40 something year old society. <laughs> we just don't. Yeah. Yeah. I, and you know, I, again, everyone should do what's the right fit for them. And if you're able to have a wedding and you want that, that's fine. But knowing that, that, um, the other option exists, especially when mental health and, and the actual relationship are what's at stake because something like losing hair, sex drive and sleep, I mean, that's just like, not, that's, that's a horrible way to go into a marriage because that that stress manifests in and into other things that happen in the marriage then um, or the relationship. You know, mm-hmm. you're you're getting you're short with your partner, or um, you're not connecting, or you're not communicating, or you're shutting down, or you're tuning out, and um, 
you know, all of these things basically that I said just fell under communication. Apparently I needed to define it seven times. <laughs> it's, a, it's a prettier way of talking about communication than just saying the word. <laughs> But, you know, it's really, it's really important. And, and when you go into tough times, inevitably, there will be tough times in your relationship. Um, but, you know, usually tough times surround something that is a little bit out of your control. And this is a situation which you may have a little bit more control surrounding. Um, you know, tough times might be um, like that you have a medical emergency is a very different situation for stress than than planning a wedding. So um, that is really sad to hear. I had not read that that article by Zola. Yeah, that's that's from Zola, and then the other research is actually from the Knot um, from their couple study most recently because they found that when people had to cancel during the pandemic, um, I think that there were about one. Is it billion? How many weddings do we have this year? 2.6 billion. Of all the weddings that happened or were planned for 2020, half of them got canceled. Of that half that kept going with it, half of those were 25 people or less. Those are the couples that did not fall into debt because they were able to salvage some of the money they had planned to spend. And when they did follow-up studies, they were in much better shape. And granted, the pandemic is its own huge amount of stress on its own. Yeah. So the couples that were in the pandemic decided to go ahead and get married, didn't lose the extra money, did not add more stress onto an already stressful global situation. Um, so the, I think the criteria are probably pretty unique and specific to that time. But then again, um, things, things don't get cheaper year to year. You know, we're Mm-mm. still in a pandemic. This is probably going to be here for the rest of our lives in some way. We're just going to have to learn to adapt. Um, and it's, it's a, it was a crucial moment in history for many parts of, for many industries. Um, and the wedding industry, I believe suffered the most, um, not suffered, but went through the biggest evolution in modern time. That's a great way of putting it. Um, because yes, when I, when I have tried to explain the changes and the things that I've seen from couples and, and the experiences that I've had as a wedding photographer, um, and, and that my community has had in the district list community, it's, it's been really just shocking. Um, and I, when now when people ask me, when couples ask me for referrals, I actually have to think to myself, are they still in business? Oh, Yeah. Because it sucks. Yeah. And you can't, you know, some of their websites are still up and there's no indication that they're out of business until you go and actually like try to send an email and the email bounces. Hmm. Um, so it's been, you know, it, it's different. It's, you know, we all kind of knew the impact. If you aren't in the wedding industry or in the wedding space, if you're not planning a wedding, you didn't see any of it. I think that's the big difference. Like we all saw what was going on with restaurants. Um, we all saw how we all had- eat out every week. Yeah. You know, we don't all get married every week. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And that's one of the reasons that it makes it so hard to plan a wedding or an elopement because you're not doing it every week. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's just really interesting to think about the people who have, you know, maybe they were full-time nine to fivers and they developed a wedding photography business and that was their passion and were able to like successfully pivot to being full-time entrepreneurs. And like, that's a proud moment. 
You know, you mm-hmm. get to quit your nine to five. You've worked maybe five or 10 years to get to this point. You're ready to start a family and you can afford to, and you can be a stay at home, you know, dad or mom. And all of a sudden, wham, like everything you work so hard for is just come out from beneath your feet. And I mean, I'm a writer. Like I, I have, I was used to working from home and, you know, not getting steady pay. So <laughs> my life didn't change that much, <laughs> but this high volume industry, which as a, it's, it's a fact, it's actually, you know, it's like $76 billion. It's worth more than every single major league sports team combined. So wow. more than the NFL, major league baseball, hockey, every single sport, NBA, all of their revenue combined, the wedding industry in the U S alone is more than that. Whoa. Isn't that wild? That's, that's insane. That's how much money was, you know, that's why people should care more about the impact the pandemic had on it because that's a lot of the economy just wiped away. Like it was instant. It wasn't like, oh, maybe as a writer, I can still freelance, you know, throughout the summer or something. It was like, no, March, 2020, no large gatherings. Sorry. You know, you yeah. can work from home. You can do your your IT job from home instead of the office or your government employee in DC, they'll work, they'll telecommute. But weddings, you know, you're not doing those from home. Mm-mm. You weren't in order to make money. <laughs> so it really, I mean, it. I was happy to see the coverage that the industry got in some of the bigger outlets like the New York Times. Um, they did interview a lot of vendors early on who were like, yeah, I'm screwed for the rest of the year. And, you know, my husband's a videographer and I'm a photographer and we do this together. And like we lost dual income. That happened a lot. That happened a yeah. ton. I mean, yeah. we, we know these couples, this is a big trend in the industry is to be partners in crime on this sort yeah. of, you know, career ambitions. Um, it's they're creatives. It's really cool to see. And it really sucked to see everybody get so screwed like overnight. Yeah. But yeah. And even, you know, I, I asked my couples, to, I said, you know, I wouldn't charge for rescheduling and we're going down a rabbit hole. <laughs> but I, I well, did. Well, about charge. industry. So, yeah. Right? Yeah. Second shop. <laughs> yeah. So, I didn't charge for rescheduling. I just asked if they would pay their, um, their wedding in full for that, like by the, on the wedding day, the original wedding day, so that I would be able to maintain the business. But then that, the next year screwed me. So, I actually had my COVID mm. year in 2021 because I had gotten paid for my rescheduled weddings in 2020. And then Hmm. I had the dates off the calendar still in 2021, but I wasn't getting the income from it. So it made sense in terms of, I was like, you know, if I had taken more weddings, but I'm physically, I'm only able to take a certain number. So um, it was an interesting strategy. I haven't really reflected on whether or not I would have changed that, but I may (laughs) need to think about that on my train ride to New York today. Um, Out of curiosity, you know, it's just such an interesting, it's an interesting thing that and I, I've been wondering why I had my, I just did my taxes and I was like, why did I have my COVID year in 2021? Well, we were still largely in a pandemic last year. I mean, too, like it, it, it just, it works. I mean, we're still in one, um, weddings are starting to percolate again, as we know, they get big time, but it's, you don't just recover in a year from a loss like that. I mean, I, my business completely needs overhauled my, my website. I launched right before a pandemic and then my whole business plan on listing model 
you know, from on a very small scale, like not hundreds of dollars a month at all, um, was completely like wiped out because ethically and morally, I couldn't ask people, oh, hey, I launched a site. Like there, there was no launch party. There was no big announcement on Instagram. <laughs> it was just like, um, we're just going to not bother vendors for a few months and ask them for their money because they have none. And that would be really shitty. And yeah. I not going to be a shitty person. Um, so we just completely sucked it up. And like everybody else, you know, we're a marginal part of the wedding industry, but it impacted the elopement industry in a big time. So yeah, it's interesting. We're, I just had a sales call this morning with someone trying to figure out how are we going to do this? I mean, it's like, think about it every day. Like, what can I do for vendors? What can I do to help them and create something sustainable for myself? Cause I gave up a full-time job to do this too. So yeah. Yeah. And that's the funny, that's the funny thing about the wedding industry. We all do what we do because we love it. And we're not like, it's such a fascinating thing. Somebody asked me the other day, we need to take a break, but um, somebody asked me the other day, what's the best way to get referrals from planners? And I was like, I don't understand the question. And she was like, well, I, what I've been doing is pitching that I'm going to give them a a kickback for referring me. And I was like, no, we don't, we don't do that. We don't do that in the wedding industry because that doesn't feel good. And the entire, the entire point of what we're doing is for the client experience. So if you give my client an awesome experience, that's why I'm going to refer you again, not because you gave me a hundred dollars that doesn't mm-hmm. like, I don't care about that hundred dollars. I don't need that hundred dollars. That has nothing, but it's such an interesting thing because the wedding industry is such a different beast. That there are it, no rules. You know, no one goes to yeah. college to be a wedding industry expert, you know, and I don't <laughs> care. True. You can't major, you can't get your MBA in like business is anything like the wedding industry. There's no model for it. We're all just still figuring it out. I mean, the people who create a wedding wire in the knot, we're not passionate about weddings. Wedding Wire yeah. tech guy from right at the road in Bethesda, you know, that's where it was headquartered is still, that's, that's somebody who I met. I mean, he's a, he's a tech guru. He invented Blackboard. Did you use that in college? Yeah. Yeah. He's a tech guy. So he just saw the, the dollars, you know, and good for him, but he's not like you or I, but we're like, we don't want a referral. <laughs> like, we're not yeah. capitalistic about it at all. So, I mean, the people who thought of the knot, they got their biggest funding from Ted Leonsis, who owns the Capitals. He's a billionaire. He opened up a Brides magazine, flipped it, sniffed it, and said, I will give you money. Because they came to him with the idea in the late 90s when it was still an AOL, AOL website. Oh, my God. So, <laughs> those, the two biggest parts of our industry, the wedding wire and the knot, completely, you know, venture capital, not homegrown, not a cute little story. It's actually very boring, <laughs> but yeah. And now they're, they're the same thing. Now they, they exist together because of money. You know, they're the EXO group. So yeah, I was actually just going to ask you about that. Um, fascinating aside, but my husband works in antitrust. Um, oh. and so I found that merger very fascinating and yeah. I have wondered if that will come across the FTC's desk at any point. <laughs> I am very curious why things there haven't risen above the radar. And yeah. a lot of it is like, I just think places like the FTC might not take it seriously because it's the wedding industry. It's a soft That's industry. That's what I was yeah. thinking. Like where, where does this live on their desk? It doesn't, it's not even on their radar. 
you know, I mean, it's, they don't, it's interesting. I don't know. Maybe, maybe you could be a whistleblower, <laughs> but I mean, we know what happened is the vendors got really upset because they were like, oh, you're the same company. Why am I paying to be on both? Yeah. And when this happened, it was, you know, a couple of years before the pandemic, I was at a conference in Vegas when um, the founder of Wedding Wire had just established Wedding Pro, you know, like an offshoot umbrella thing for, we don't really know still what it is. Um, and he was supposed to kind of explain this and unveil it. And he had a huge party at Tropicana and nothing got accomplished. Like everybody was drunk. I mean, <laughs> nobody was there to like come to a party to learn about your new tech group, you know, the merger, we just all left still confused. Um, and I think Interesting. that's still, I mean, I was, it was the, it was their conference. I mean, it was the wedding wire and the knots annual wedding showcase in Vegas. Like it wasn't just some little thing. It was the biggest people in the business. And I was just there to be like, Hey, elopements. <laughs> like, I met two people who wanted to talk to me, <laughs> but it was, I mean, those two people were great contacts still. Um, it, it pissed off a lot of vendors because they just got very confused and there was no clarity. And I think there's still confusion. Um, I do know like wedding wire is now a month to month model again, because at the pandemic, they couldn't force people into 12 month contracts and expect people to pay that much money. Like they, the pandemic forced them to change their business model, which is awesome because they're not the enemy. They help a lot of vendors, but yeah. some of their practices were just not clear. And I don't, I, I like to work on transparency. Yeah. I don't like when you have a multitude of people being like, why am I paying to be on both? Why can't I get out of my contract? Why did I get out of my contract? And my profile is still up like a ghost. They won't take it down. Oh, because they need content hits, you know, that, that, that your profile is still getting them clicks. So there's just a lot going on there. I can say a lot about it, but it's interesting to me from somebody who was doing a lot of research, trying to create my own, you know, listing model about what do people actually want, need, what will they, and won't they pay for that kind yeah. of thinking. So I'm not here to take and, them down. I don't want to, I don't, yeah, don't really care about them and they don't care about elopements from top execs used to work there to my face telling me that. Um, but I just think it's all just very fascinating. It really whole. is. It's the whole wedding industry is really fascinating. And I think one of the things that I value the most is transparency in the wedding industry. Like if you are not a transparent business owner or company, then I, I just, that's, I immediately am like, eh, not, not here for this. Mm -hmm. um, especially because so many couples get roped into that, not knowing that they're, that the transparency is an option and not knowing that they're getting roped into something where they're going to, you know, they need to rent a kitchen, but they weren't told they needed to rent a kitchen. And now it's two weeks out from the wedding and the caterer is saying, where is the kitchen? And they can't find a kitchen anywhere. And they're bringing it in from like Utica, New York to DC. Like this is not sustain, like a, like that's such an awful Mm -hmm. Awful thing. Mm -hmm. um, whereas, I mean, I, you know. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I cut you off. Yo, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, this is why I do most of my uh, client research on Reddit. You know, that's my favorite site for this. They have a whole channel called Wet It. <laughs> it's awesome. And that's where people talk about. I hate that photographers don't post their fees on their website. I hate that. Is $500 reasonable for an outside catering fee? all sorts of conversations going on 
And that's where people are really honest, you know, and there's moderators, of course, and stuff like that. But it's, it's a way less glamorous Instagram. You know, there's very few photos and it's where people are just really honest. Like the couples are the ones being honest about the industry. Like if you want to hear user feedback, go to Reddit. <laughs> it's, it's great. I mean, that's true for any topic, but for weddings, especially because they're so high stake. People want yeah. quick answers and they want to talk to other smart people who use Reddit and get those answers overnight and not wait to hear back from a photographer, you know, which yeah, yeah. happens, you know, you can't even compare like my packages to another photographer. It's really hard. It's not apples to apples. Um, it's, you know, where I have on mine, where all of your guests, if you send them the link, everyone can download as many photos, whatever they want. It's part of the package. How do you compare that to like where someone puts together a slide, like slideshow kind of moving imagery or something? Like, how do you know what the value of each of those things is? It's really hard to compare. It is. I mean, I, I went through this myself with headshots. I had two photographers within a year and a half of each other and two very different experiences when I got that album and two very different price points, both locals to the DMV. And it was just, it was interesting. I mean, like there, there really are, there's no comp analysis you can do. I don't think in the wedding industry, it doesn't exist because no. every venue is so like one will have tables and chairs across the street from another that doesn't, that one's going to be more than the one across the street. But couples yeah. are going to want the tables and chairs. They're going to pay 2000 more dollars, you know, add that on to the other 10 they've already spent. So it's just pricing analysis, anything like that is really challenging in this industry. And I, I think if people were more transparent, yes, that would be good. But the caveat is then do you drag down the whole industry? You know, do you undercut other entrepreneurs and creatives who are just as passionate as you are? You know, you're all in this together. So how do you, how do you make it sustainable and the best world for both the couples and the vendors? You know, it's, it's a tough nut to crack. Yeah. And to go back to what Philippe does for work, if you <laughs> sit down as the wedding industry and have a discussion about pricing, that is price fixing and it is collusion. Yeah. Yeah. So technically, if I sat down with all the photographers in the DMV area, which is the District of Columbia, Maryland, and Virginia, for those of you not in the DMV, um, then technically what we would be doing is illegal. And yeah. like big illegal, like a real big illegal problem. <laughs> yeah. Because um, it's price fixing, you know, it, it's, and I would have never thought of that in a million years if I wasn't married to Philippe. And I can a thousand percent guarantee you that there are vendors who have done that and didn't know what they were doing. Oh, totally. Like in the interest totally. of transparency and community and, you know, like helping the collective good that it's like you... <laughs> is there a right way to do any of this? <laughs> you know, like, yeah. we're all just still yeah. trying to figure it out and then throw in a pandemic and you know, it's even, it's even funner. <laughs> well, we're not going to take a break on the wedding dish because we have now gone toward like, we're running, we're running a little low on time. So um, I want to talk a little bit about your book. So you just yeah. published this. I think it's freaking awesome. You just gave me a preview right before we started. So tell us a little bit about um, how you, you know, why, why did you decide to create this book? I decided to create this book because websites are cool and the internet's cool, but 
the knowledge about eloping exists in very disparate places online. And to sort of try to wrangle all of that together is a challenge as a couple looking into a niche, niche industry with niche, niche vendors. Um, And that was actually a problem when I was pitching the book or my agent rather was pitching the book to publishers. I got six rejections after a month of it being out there. And they all said I could find this all online. And so I had to prove that, yes, that's true, but also it's a nightmare. You know, like the elopement content on Wedding Wire, the not even Martha Stewart is in like a tiny corner of their website. And that's deliberate because that's not how they make money. Um, It's very deliberate. If I'm a couple and I want to elope in Tahiti, I'm going to get some very dated content from like Travelocity where somebody mentions the word elopement in a review. Um, oh yeah, it's just, yeah. And that's good SEO for them because they've been doing this for a long time. Um, but the, the content that exists out there largely is still all over the place and it's buried, you know, it's on the 10th page of Google. So not only that, but then there's practical things like, um, the, the laws, the marriage laws, which the stuff that even was in print in Martha Stewart two years ago is inaccurate. You know, that was fact-checked. Like I was reading it. I was like, this is wrong. Like this is, you don't need a blood test. You actually file your marriage license in the state you get married, not the state you live in. Like things like that were just wrong everywhere. And again, it's because I don't think people take this as seriously as they should as an industry. Um, They forget that they're entering into a government contract when they get married. It's a license from the government. It's getting filed somewhere, you know, in a courthouse. It's not to be taken lightly in in how you go about doing it. So to kind of collect that, package it in chapters, organize it neatly, um, was important to me. And then it was important to me to show that eloping is like we said, beyond, you know, the sandals, eight is elopements, which actually is in my book, um, in a different <laughs> way. The first couple that got, that eloped there, um, she ended up giving her husband a kidney to save his life. And they got reinvited back to sandals like 20 years later for a celebration. Uh, yeah, it was adorable. So that's, that's like a little, little pocket of the book. Um, but it's 11 chapters on 11 different ways to elope. And the first chapter opens with a story that's not all hunky dory. It's about a couple that did it for immigration reasons. Um, because it was important to me to show that the realities of getting married, you know, and it's, it's not a sad story. It's lovely, but they had to do it in a civil celebrant's living room in Virginia. You know, because Virginia is the only state that you can't get married by someone who's ordained online. Um, So you have to go to find a civil celebrant who's gone through the process of becoming ordained in whatever terms the state tells them to. Um, That's for other complicated reasons that suck. But they were in a stranger's living room getting married on a February night. It was pouring down rain and didn't tell anybody for a year. And a year later, they had her big, awesome wedding um, at Airly. And so I tell the story like that. I tell a story of someone who did it in Cabo, you know, who spent over a hundred thousand dollars on an elopement and she did an elopement because she was a destination. She took a very small group of people. The price point is because she paid for the villa for everybody for multiple nights. And they had like a next day boat outing, you know, it was a very kind of luxurious elopement feeling. So there's, yeah. these, you know, there's a couple that spent 50 bucks because of immigration reasons and the couple that spent $180,000, you know, because they were going to spend 500,000. So to them, it was still less. Yeah. So it was just, 
I, I wanted to include, and I had to from a, a writing and publishing standpoint, different ways to do it. There's different places of the world featured. There's a chapter on courthouse elopements that opens with a couple who did it. He was going off to 9-11 and military is the number one population to elope with a just as the peace. So they had their JP ceremony. He went off. Uh, they had a church ceremony that she wanted later on. But I mean, this is, you know, this is the early aughts. This isn't like we're doing the elopement and doing the after party like we do now. This was like before it was a thing. Um, so it's just a variety of ways to do it. And, you know, assurance and inspiration from couples who did it. And they all tell me how much they spent, how they told their family, what they wore, what was borrowed, what was blue, um, the inspiration for the place that they chose to elope, you know, like any food involved. There's a chapter on doing it at home. Um, so sort of now like backyard wedding has gone up 100% in Google rankings over the last year. So I'm happy I had the foresight to include this in a book that was due in June 2020. Because um, <laughs> it's all about, you know, how to make a bar cart at home, you know, when to bring in a caterer and when to have your family help out, sort of that thing. Um, yeah. How to find next day cleaning so you don't have to get up and clean after the party, you know. Um, yeah. asked for that. So just different unique ways to go about it and really practical packaged, neat little uh, chapters on each different way. And then, you know, here are all the states that don't have a waiting period. So <laughs> you want to do it tomorrow. That's on one page for you. You don't have to Google it and find 18 different incorrect resources online. <laughs> oh my so. gosh. That's so helpful. And it's beautiful too. You had it illustrated by someone in the UK. Yeah. Uh, her name's Marie. I'm going to butcher it. Marie Ines Gules. She's got a couple hundred thousand followers. So that's cool. Um, I have like four, but I'm hoping that works out a little bit for me. Um, she did a lovely job. She's very millennial kind of focused in its illustrations. Um, it was read by a sensitivity reader as well, which was important to the publisher and to me. And I got a page full of feedback on that. You know, so it's inclusive. It's diverse. It's sensitive um, to the different reasons why couples might elope um, that are can be highly highly sensitive. So yeah. it and it went through the ringer of copy edits. It was fact checked. I mean, it's it's not a I didn't I didn't self publish this. So <laughs> yeah, it went through a lot of rigmarole to get out there and be as accurate as possible. And granted, some things probably have changed now the pandemic's happened. Courthouses have gone from being you know, in-person applying only to, you can do both online and in-person, or you can now pay by credit card instead of checks. Some places still only take checks. So I can't list all of those because they're county by county, but I say in the book, you know, double check before you walk up there to elope. Yeah. Do you need to bring cash or can you pay with a credit card? So yeah. practical yeah, things. That's and a then, great point. Yeah. There's, there's lots of little things that you just have to factor in. And like I said, you could spend probably a week's worth of time putting it together, Googling it. Um, or you just flip to the chapter of how you want to do it in the book. And, you know, the first chapter is all about the blueprint. So all the basics, the second chapter is navigating elopement vendors. And then the rest of it is just, Hey, I want to, I want to do a destination elopement overseas. And it's literally how to pack a wedding dress. Cause guess what? The flight attendants will hang it up for you in their closet. If you'd like, don't put it in your, your check luggage. Um, so yeah, just chock full of little tips. That's I hope amazing. people like it. <laughs> I am really excited about it. And it's interactive too. So you can take notes in there. You can save business cards and pamphlets that you get. Mm -hmm. um, again, Kim showed me this right before we recorded. So I'm really excited about it. I haven't seen it in person yet. So I'll send you um, one. I'll send you a copy. 
Oh my gosh, I would love that. Can I, will. Can I have a signed copy? Oh, I have a special pen because this the um, author page to sign is dark green. So I got oh a Sharpie in silver that matches the silver band that holds it shut. Oh my God, I love it. Oh, I am prepared. I'll send you one. Oh my gosh. Uh, I would actually prefer if we could get some rosé together and you could okay. do it to me in person. I'll be over tomorrow. <laughs> oh, you'll be in New York. <laughs> Monday. <laughs> Monday. Yeah. Well, you'll need it after this weekend. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'll also need to thaw out after this weekend. Yeah. Oh, man. Oh, boy. Well, you can get your wedding, your way, destination elopements, intimate ceremonies, and other non-traditional traditional nuptials by Kim Olson. Um, you can get it on Amazon. You can get it on – where else can we find it? Oh, Barnes & Noble, Target, uh, Walmart. Actually, I was surprised about that one. That's awesome. Um, and Chronicle Books is the publisher. You can get it there. And if you want to shop local to D.C., Maryland, and Virginia, uh, Old Town Books is a bookstore in Old Town, Alexandria. They're featuring it and actually going to help us with a little launch party. So stay tuned for more there. Oh, my gosh. Send me the info. I will absolutely share it. That's so much fun. And you that's better really come. Exciting. You're invited. Uh, <laughs> heck, yeah. I will absolutely be there. <laughs> awesome. Oh my goodness. Well, where can people find you on Instagram? I know we know your website is artofeloping.com. Um, but so Instagram, I'm at artofeloping. Uh, I scooped up all the handles, social media everywhere, but I really haven't updated Twitter in probably a year. Um, so I'm artofeloping <laughs> everywhere that social media exists. Um, mostly active on Instagram. I'm actually working on LinkedIn because that's a one of the only ones that has, you know, organic growth still and is great to grow a business. And, you know, that's what we're in the, the business of doing. Um, so art of eloping there as well. And then my personal Instagram, if you're curious about the two things I post every year, um, I'm Kim E. Olson, O-L-S-E-N. So much more active over on the art of eloping account and loosely, loosely active on my own. <laughs> Probably unintentionally by design. So. <laughs> You know, I've moved that direction as well. It's just a lot of stuff to manage and it's a lot of being visible. <laughs> it's, yeah. And I just, I forget to post things when they happen. Like I went to France for two weeks in August and forgot to post anything about being in France. So I was like, did it even matter to anybody? Like, no. Like, <laughs> <laughs> did to you. <laughs> so it's a nice wallpaper on my phone. You know, that photo's great, but... <laughs> Oh my God. I love it. Well, we will link to everything on the weddingdishpodcast.com in your show notes. We'll link to your book. We'll link to your Instagram website and everything so that it's super easy peasy for people who are planning elopements um, or smaller weddings, or even it sounds like, you know, destination weddings would benefit from reading this as well, because there's so many facts in there about traveling. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah, we'll link out to all of that. And then we'll, of course, have the um, transcripts from today's episode. Um, and you can apply to be a guest. And we'll keep bringing you juicy wedding tips and tricks from couples and wedding pros alike, just like Kim. Um, I am so thankful that you were able to take the time today. It is always so great to chat with you. Um, it's been a wild ride getting to this episode. And I'm just thrilled that we've got it out and it'll drop soon. Um, 
And yeah, uh, follow, rate, and review The Wedding Dish on your preferred platform. And until next time, cheers, everybody.